Why was Jesus baptized? That's the question we're discussing today on The Hero of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you focus on the gospel in every area of your life and ministry. I'm Aaron Armstrong, brand manager of The Gospel Project, and with me as always is Brian Dembozik, our managing editor. So Brian, we know that baptism matters, and we know that it is an act of obedience and a bold declaration that a person has been joined together with Jesus and his church. It's so important, so much so, that it's the middle name of the denomination that uh, that Lifeway is a part of, the Southern Baptist That's right. Convention. That's a big deal. It is. It's, it's really important. Uh, we... You know, and, and there there is some disagreement on on what baptism exactly is, but baptism is really important. It's an it's a an vital act of obedience, um, that declaration of faith. So it it is really important, at least. So, so we we know from our experience, from what the scriptures talk about in terms of baptism, we know who generally baptism is for, which is sinners. Or reformed sinners, or redeemed sinners, is is the best word for it, <laughs> really. Um, and yet we see in in one in the Gospels, we see Jesus getting baptized. Yeah, yeah, and that that's what prompts the question that we led the podcast episode off with. Because if we understand baptism as that act of obedience, demonstrating a a changed life. Uh, repentance of sin and, and salvation through faith in Jesus, the question begs itself, well, why was Jesus baptized then? Because he was sinless, so he had nothing to repent of. Um, and, and that's where we need to kind of take some time and, and explore this in, in this episode. And so hopefully this is going to be a helpful discussion. As always, we need to think about the passes because we're going to be looking at, prime, we're going to be kind of bouncing around actually in all the gospels because this is one of the events that actually shows up in all of them but we're going to spend a lot of time as we discuss in in matthew what we need to what we need to consider is is where does this event um which which is recorded early on in the gospels where does it fall in in terms of jesus's ministry yeah, and that is really the answer. It's the beginning. This can be understood as as the tip off, if you will, of of his ministry. Uh, as we've been talking about someone on previous episodes, as you as you thumb through all four gospel accounts, you you see some interaction with Jesus's life before this, his birth narrative, of course, the uh, visiting to the temple as as a. Uh, eight day old or so um and then later when he was 12 um so we see there's information about jesus's life but this is really where his ministry begins this event his baptism and the temptation which follows it really can be identified as as what launches his ministry so this is that beginning of the three three and a half year ministry that follows through the rest of the gospels that culminates of course with the cross and the uh the resurrection and ascension so yeah, so we're at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. We are, and as as you mentioned, it kicks off with these two key events. The first being his baptism. The second is this temptation, and we'll be talking more about the temptation on a future episode of the show. So 
right away when we when we get here, when we get to this passage, the the key question that we need to be asking about it, of course, is the why question that we have mentioned multiple times on uh, like as we've just been discussing over the last couple of minutes. And so the question of why was Jesus baptized? So Brian, what, what would you say to that? Yeah, again, just to be clear, it's easier to say why he was not. And again, he was not baptized because of repentance of sin. Um, we know that. We know he uh, was sinless, lived a sinless life, uh, needed no repentance of sin, therefore. So the question is, why did he? We, we see a little bit of an explanation in Matthew 3.15, specifically where he's, you know, John pushes back and says, wait a minute, um, why are you coming to me for you to be baptized? It should be the other way around. And Jesus says, hey, permit it to fulfill all righteousness. That's one reason that, that we can kind of start zeroing in on that in order for Jesus to live that perfect life of obedience to the Father, remember he he obeyed perfectly in our place because we've been credited with his righteousness. So part of this, the thinking is to be baptized, that this important act of obedience that we've talked about is part of this. So he fulfilled righteousness by being baptized. Another thought is that he was baptized to identify with sinners. We we know from scripture that we have a high priest in Jesus who identifies with us. He's experienced the, the pressures of life yet without sin. So some believe that this was another way that he identifies with sinners. And then a third idea that is pretty common is that Jesus was baptized to support John's ministry. John, of course, had this kind of um, offshoot ministry. He, he separated himself from the, the worship in the temple on purpose. Uh, John was trying to declare that, hey, Judaism, as we are practicing it in this day, is broken. We, we've lost something here, and we need to repent and prepare ourselves for the arrival of the Messiah as his forerunner. So some believe that Jesus was baptized to f- add further credence to John's ministry, which in turn, of course, would add credence to Jesus's ministry. Those are three of the most common uh, explanations I've heard. You you may think of, of some more, Aaron, but I've heard of these quite often. I don't think you have to pick or choose. I, I think there may be truth to all of them. I, I would I would generally agree with that. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we do need to understand about about Jesus's ministry is he was there to fulfill the law. That is, that's one key thing. He was there to complete all, to fulfill all righteousness, as Matthew says. Um, he was there to identify with sinners, and that is a key reason. He was also there because he was the, he was the better and true Israel, um, as well. And so he was representing all the people. And so it's 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 so multifaceted. There's not one simple answer to it. Yeah, and, and again, I think it's one of those times where it doesn't necessarily have to be one or the other. Um, there there can be layers to this, and, and we know fulfilling righteousness was one of the reasons, at least, because Jesus said it. But what does it exactly does that mean? I think that's where you, you start to kind of unpack a little bit. Right, and and really, we we already start to see some of that in the passage itself in, Ma- in Matthew 3, because we we get to see this this really unusual event where Jesus is, comes up out of the water and at the same time the the Holy Spirit descends upon him in the form of a of a dove and 
then this voice speaks from the sky that's the voice of God the Father saying, um, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, listen to him. And this is the, and, and right there, what we see is we we see this event that is significant in that it's alluding to events that were referencing, that were happening in scripture previously. And so when we see this term uh, fulfilling all righteousness, one of the things that we can understand from that is, is that it's fulfilling promises and prophecies and commands that are in the Old Testament as well. And so in that event alone, what we see is we see an allusion to at least two places, one being uh, Psalm 2 verse 7, which says, I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And then Isaiah 42, 1, which says, this is my servant. I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. And so in the event, we actually see that literally happening where the spirit descends upon him. And it's incredible. When we think about Psalm 2, um, this was sung at the crowning of Israel's kings. And so it was a declaration that this that the king was the shadow of this greater king to come uh, ultimately, and that Jesus was fulfilling this song, this psalm in a, a much more powerful way than any human king ever could. Um, Isaiah 42, of course, alludes to Jesus, who is also the suffering servant. And so what the father was doing really in essence is he was basically declaring Jesus to be these two things, to both be the promised servant and the promised king, and to be both at the same time, this servant king who was going to suffer and die and rise again for his people. Yeah. And I just love this because, you know, this is something we can read over pretty quickly, um, you know, as we're looking at, at this account of Jesus' baptism, and, and we're kind of interested in it. Why did he, as, as we've talked about? Then we get to this, you know, the Father speaking, and, and we think, all right, that, that's interesting, yeah, that's true. And then we, we're tempted to move on, but it's so easy to miss the the richness of this, that that in that, that what would be a simple statement, an important statement, we see this critical idea that God is declaring to those who are gathered there that day that Jesus is this different kind of king. He's this different kind of servant. And again, this is marking the beginning of Jesus' ministry, so it makes sense that this would launch it off, this bold declaration by the Father. I mean, imagine being there and then the Holy Spirit descending as Jesus is baptized. So really an important passage, which is why it is in the Gospels. Uh, this is not one that uh, any of the writers felt guided by the spirit to not include because it's that important. And I think that bears repeating. I mean, one of the things that we do have to keep in mind is that if an event is recorded multiple times in scripture, particularly in the gospels, that means it's really, really important for us to pay attention to. And so we don't want to fly over it and assume that we know everything that there is to know about it. Yeah. And, and of course, we're not saying that just because something occurs in just one gospel, for example, it's not important. All the scripture is critically important, of course. But this is to say, man, our, we should pay further attention. Um, the amount of real estate that something gets in scripture 
is important. You know, if if you look and, and see that God spends a lot of time talking about something, then that communicates. And if something is, as you're saying, in all four Gospels or in multiple Gospels, that's important as well. So while all, while all Scripture, of course, is inspired and, and profitable and, and of equal value, just as we're studying, as we're, as we're coming to understand what it looks like to be a follower of Christ, when we see those repetitions, that is where we pay extra careful attention. And of course, with an event like this, just as with any event in Scripture, we want to see how this points us to the gospel. So this event very pointedly brings us to a key aspect of Christ's ministry, which again is that he was the servant king and he is the sa- and he's the savior king. Yep. That that Jesus fulfilled all righteousness. He obeyed every aspect of the law. He obeyed where we c- we could not and cannot and one of the beautiful gifts that he gives us is that we are imputed with his righteousness. That's what we, we learn from 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And that is, um, that's just amazing that, yeah, that he would do that. Yeah, that beautiful uh, great exchange, as it's often called, of how Christ took our sin and gave us his righteousness in its place. And, and that's why God, you know, he declares us as forgiven and as fully obedient because of what Christ has done. And both of those are so important. And we see, again, the, the picture of this at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. It's setting the stage for what Jesus would do. He is, he is that servant king, that savior king that you just mentioned. And what he's going to do is he is going to remove our sin problem and remove our disobedience problem all at once through his sinless life, his sacrifice, and his resurrection. It's it's the gospel laid before us in the baptism of, of Jesus. Let's think about this event, this incredible moment that we see in Scripture, this rare moment where we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together. We see Jesus essentially declaring, being declared in his identity and in his his ministry as the suffering servant savior king how do we walk through this how does this help us to disciple other people i think one of the first things is what you just said aaron that this is one of the passages where we see the trinity all three persons at at once we know in scripture uh, the term trinity does not appear but the concept is all throughout it and this is a really important passage as we're discipling others, uh, especially new believers, kids, as they're learning about this concept of Trinity for the first time, uh, especially this is a helpful passage to take somebody to and show them how you have all three persons working distinctly from one another, one God in three persons. You see the Father speaking, the Spirit descending, the Son coming up out of the water. And this is, while again, while the term Trinity is not here, we see it in, in the text, we see God as one working in unity, but three distinct persons. So that's a really, really helpful uh, aspect of this passage. The second thing I would say is that this passage helps us frame a doctrine of baptism. Um, and as we're discipling, as we're teaching, this is so helpful. Again, while there is some difference of opinion, what we see here is that baptism is not just something to be taken lightly. It's important enough that Jesus was baptized. That alone communicates to us. So 
I often hear, you know, and ironically, as as Southern Baptists, um, one of the things is sometimes I hear baptism kind of lowered in importance. Some go too far and kind of start to diminish it and make it just kind of this option or, yeah, it's a nice thing to do. Yeah, it's important, but... And really what we see here is a reminder that, no, 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 um, we, we cannot lower baptism too far. We cannot raise it too high in importance in terms of salvation, but we cannot lower it too far either. And so this, this passage, when I see Jesus, it was important enough for him to be baptized, that communicates to me. I think that one of the ways that we need to be careful about not diminishing the importance of baptism is understanding that baptism is really only intended to happen once. Now, certainly Christians of different convictions may disagree on when that once is supposed to be. Brian and I would hold to a creedal Baptist position, so believing that baptism is supposed to be in response to a confession of faith. However, we should also recognize that there's not universal agreement among genuine believers. And anyone who is familiar with the Gospel Project should know that we actually don't delve into that difference. We focus on the events that occur in Scripture, and we leave space for churches to speak to their particular convictions on that issue. But it's, it's important to, to remember that one of the dangers that we have in diminishing the importance of it is that we can think that it's that we, well, we can just do it again. Or it didn't, it didn't really count the first time. Yeah, there, that, it should not be where, you know, there, there should not be somebody being baptized a second time, although technically you would say no one's ever being you know, baptized a second time. It's the first time you just got wet. But really, we, ha- we, we need to be a little bit clear here and explain, I would not say, you know, for that case, somebody who was baptized or got wet, as the case may be, and then only to find out later, no, they hadn't really trusted in Jesus before that. It was not a believer's baptism, and they feel compelled to be baptized. I support that completely. Um, I, I would think that's a right and fitting thing to do. But what you see is sometimes people, almost it's a rededication of faith, and they want to get baptized again and again and again. And we're like, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. That, that is, that you're losing what baptism pictures, and you're, you're weakening it because of that. I think for many of us, really also what we have to really wrestle with, my wife and I are talking about this in light of our kids. I've always tried to protect believer's baptism by delaying it. So if uh, if one of my kids is trusted in Christ and I'm like, hey, I want to see some fruit, um, go through a period of, of, of being able to verify as best I can that they've made a genuine decision to trust in Christ, then feel better about baptism. My heart in that has been, as a former student pastor, especially and kids pastor, my heart has been, I've seen way too many people who have that crisis of faith later on and say, was I really a believer when I, you know, and so my heart has been to be able to come alongside my kids one day in the future, if they ask that question to say, Hey, the best of my ability, this is what I saw. So yes. However, I I'm really starting to wrestle more with how, you know, is baptism really that declaration of faith? Should it be closer to that trust as that bold declaration and the baptism itself then becomes that mark? No, you knew what you were doing. You were baptized still as a believer. 
Um, it's an interesting, important discussion. If you look at scripture about baptism and how it's used in, in the New Testament, it does seem like it's much more close to actual profession of faith, being the profession of faith. So it's just something I think is is worth praying over, thinking about, especially for those of us who have kids or, or lead kids. Yeah. And at the same time, what I would also rec- encourage is if you if you're listening to this and you're in this position where you've been a believer for an extended period of time and you haven't seen the importance of being baptized yourself, I would wrestle with that as well. And this is what I would advise to um, if I were in the position of of discipling someone who was in, in that boat. I mean, I I have taught the baptism class at uh, at one of my former churches as well. And we had that we had that come up. There was a there was a woman who was there who was a faithful believer for, you know, about 30 years and had just never gotten around to it in her words. And so my question was, well, why not? And that's what I've often said, Aaron, is you know, if you're not willing to be baptized, then how are you willing to follow Christ even to the point of death? Um, it, it's an argument from the lesser to the greater, if you will. Uh, at the same time, let's be really careful. There's so many nuances to this. There are tons there, of nuances. There are people like this is where my daughter is. She is terrified of being in front of people. It's beyond just a discomfort. It, it, it's stronger than that. So we're trying to be gentle with her. She has not been baptized yet. We keep encouraging her to, praying that she will, but trying to not to be dogmatic and and you know force her into something. There are people who are afraid of water. You know, there there are people who are bedridden, and, and you have to make allowances for that. Um, you know, that's where again, as Baptists, we would uh, sub- submerge. Uh, but there is a place if somebody is in a hospital bed and cannot be submerged, you know, there's a place for sprinkling. The mode of baptism comes into question. Who can baptize? I've seen this being discussed in churches. Can this, Do the pastors have to baptize? Can a dad baptize, for example? A lot of, of tangent questions to this that are really important um, and need to be explored and, and come up with a position based on Scripture um, and then and follow that. Brian, I think that's a really good word to end on, and um, thank you for for chatting about this. I know it's it's this is a complicated topic, and it's it's one that you know really even even just in talking about this, we've been wrestling it, and I know that we've been doing a little bit of self editing even as we've been yeah. discussing, and it's really clear there. Um, because not because we are hiding any particular convictions or anything like that, but because we want to be balanced and and respectful of those who have differing viewpoints, particularly when it comes to modes of baptism. But this has still been a really helpful conversation, and I've enjoyed it. Listeners, thank you for for joining us for this for this journey uh, through a very difficult topic. Um, if you've enjoyed it please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on apple podcasts or on whatever platform you use to listen to the show and of course for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel please visit gospelproject.com